Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. It's James Golden, a.k.a. Bose Nerdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. Welcome to the Saturday Morning Radio Extravaganza. If you would like to be part of our program today, 800-848-WABC is the number to call. 800-848-9222. Okay. First of all, thank you, Ernie Anastas. We had a great hour with Ernie yesterday. Keep the music there so I can hear it, please. Thank you. We had a great hour with Ernie yesterday. And I have rarely, you know, Ernie Anastas is just, there's a reason why he has remained one of the most popular journalists in the New York area for decades. He is simply an amazing human being. If you weren't here with us yesterday, it was an inspiring hour. We're going to do it again at some point. Okay, so what's on the table today? We are expecting to hear from our friend Derek Hunter pretty soon. There is, of course, this ceiling debate that's ongoing. There is a story, and of all places, this one shocked me. I rarely get shocked by news stories. There's a story in the Socialist publication, one of the World Socialist publications, all about this Hillary Clinton business. And it's actually accurate, which is more than what, this is so unusual to, look, you can't find an accurate story about the FBI, uh, the Durham report, Hillary Clinton, and her involvement, the involvement of uh, the Democrat operatives. If you look hard through the mainstream press, it's very difficult to find a story willing to put it all together. Yet, on one of these socialist websites, there it is. Of course, we have, as you heard at the top of the hour news, illegal immigrants have been flooding into New York. And it is not just New York City. It is areas of Westchester County, Rockland County, And we shall see what the impact is. I have not talked about the biker, the supposed Karen. Now, I saw this this story when it first came out, and something about it just, I don't know. You know, some of these Karen stories you look at and you say, okay, this is a, This is a Karen. 
But there was something about this story from the very beginning that didn't sit well with me. Why would this woman be so adamant about trying to get a bicycle that she says, one of these city bikes, wasn't her? Why? What is the reason she would possibly do this? I did not cover the story on the air at the time. Now, the narrative, of course, was that this woman, white woman, working for uh, Bellevue, a nurse, a physician's assistant, Sarah Comrie, immediately blasted all over newspapers, social media as a Karen, a racist Karen. Now it turns out she actually had receipts. She had receipts for the bike in question. I wonder, is this going to turn into another lawsuit? Much like the kid from uh, Coventry, uh, Kentucky, branded as a racist bigot because he's standing there while he's being harassed, as it turned out, by a Native American elder man banging a drum in his face, and he's just looking. And, of course, he was characterized throughout the media as being a racist. While he has successfully sued a lot of these media companies, and I wonder if this woman, who has now raised quite a bit of money through GoFundMe, family says to protect her reputation, which has been pretty smeared, I wonder if she is going to take a look at some of the news coverage that was generated about her, people rushing to call her a Karen, and if she will consider lawsuits. Politico, I'm going to talk about this with Derek, when Derek Hunter is awake. They ran a story on... Ron DeSantis' wife. You can find the Daily BS. You can find a story about it, about the political story. They ran a story on, it's a smear job, on Mrs. DeSantis. Now, this is the publication that goes out of their way to praise the wives of Democrats. Politico praised the wife of Fetterman. And by the way, if you haven't seen this latest photo, Fetterman standing up in, uh, in in his shorts and hoodie with all the other senators dressed in suits, the Congresswoman Bobert out of uh, Colorado, who is divorcing her husband, and that turned into a little bit of a news story. Supposedly, the husband sick the dogs on the process server. Bobert says, no, he didn't. Anyway, Bobert saying this is a disgrace. Fetterman should never show up to work dressed like that. These days, who cares? But there's a lot going on in Florida, by the way. A publishing powerhouse. Penguin, Random House, and Pen America. They're suing Florida over this issue of 
books not being allowed in the schools. They call it banned. Which I can't wait till this one gets to court because I want to see if publishers have a demand, have an absolute right to have schools put in their books no matter how lurid, graphic, or otherwise non-germane to the education of the students they are. So we should see where that goes. Derek Hunter, how are you, my friend? Derek, are you here with us? Yeah, can you hear me? No, I can. Now you can. I am doing well. How are you? Man, you sound so quiet this morning, man. Did we wake you up or something? Man? No, I I was woken up by a cat fight on my head at 6 o'clock in the morning. So. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. No. <clears throat> it, it's not the kids. You have, two ca- you have cats fighting on your head? Yeah, kittens for a combination of birthday, which uh, the birthday the girl's turning 6 today, and... Uh, first tooth loss so we got kittens we got a couple of kittens yeah i remember you telling us that yeah so well the ki- they're very very friendly and fearless and aggressive and energetic particularly at six o'clock in the morning on my head so you don't have them sequestered in another room where they can't get to you they these little kittens have free roam of the household there uh well that's the first week they were sequestered but uh, after that, no. We, we're a free-range cat house inside the house. They're indoor <laughs> cats. But uh, look. Let me ask you a question. You Do the cat, kids... Cats want to be on the opposite side of a door, whatever side of the door they're on, if that door is closed. And they won't leave you alone until they get on the other side of that door. So you open up the door, you let them in, then you shut the door and you go back, and they go, no, nah, I want to be on the other side of the door. So you just <laughs> leave the doors open. Who cleans the, uh, the, the litter stuff? Uh, you or Take a the wild kids? Guess. Take a wild guess. The kids are like six and four. They're not going to be clean. They don't clean up after. They open up a candy bar and literally will throw the wrapper on the floor right in front of you, standing next to the garbage. <laughs> you have to yell at them to put it in the garbage. <laughs> so you have all the fun. I have all the fun. Nonstop. So okay, how are you? so we have. I'm I'm all right. We have so many things to talk about. Um, in, you know, in New York, of course, the the funeral of Mr. Neely was yesterday. Al Sharpton went on a rage. Al Sharpton presided Shocking. over the funeral. Of yeah, isn't he it? Did because they had a deep connection while he was alive. Oh he, yeah. You know what I find hilarious and disturbing, and I've written about it, and it might offend you. It might offend somebody else. I don't know, but. When somebody like Jordan Neely dies, when somebody like George Floyd dies, the family comes out, oh, this is terrible. And and there's usually Ben Crump sitting there going, oh, we need justice for this family. They have been ripped apart. Like, well, if if the family was so devastated by Jordan Neely's loss, why was he living on the street? Why wasn't he getting any help? I get it that there's a little girl somewhere who lost her father when George Floyd was killed, but she lost her father a couple of decades earlier to crack. Okay, so can we just be honest about these sorts of things? There is, there's no gray area in life anymore, and it drives me nuts where like they're either a monster or a saint. 
Well, I'm sorry, a guy running around a subway car threatening everybody on it and with a history of violence and other crimes is not a saint. I don't care about the manner of his death. Should he have died? I don't know. But he certainly is not lined up for the halo and the wings and the harp right away. But we just can't be honest anymore because, you know what, a troubled man who was threatening people died in an altercation with people who were confronting him to try and That doesn't sell. Who does that help? How does that help Democrats? So it has to be, oh, a harmless Michael Jackson impersonator. He wasn't a Michael Jackson impersonator. He had a radio. He pushed play on a tape or a CD or whatever the hell it was. Michael Jackson's music played, and he danced around. That's just a side of juggling with two balls. I remember in high school, the uh, I forget what the girl in front was. It was a talent show. Some girl in front was doing something else while somebody, I know the guy's name, but I'm not going to say it, juggles in the background. And he's got two softballs. That's not juggling. That's throwing one ball up in the air and catching it and then throwing another ball up in the air. You need at least three balls to juggle. But we all had to applaud like, oh, wow, he just cured cancer there. Give me a break. Stop lowering the standards for everything and just try a little bit of honesty. If you think that uh, Mr. Penny should be charged with second-degree manslaughter, then make that case. But you don't have to make Neely into an angel because he was not no you know what he was though he was suffering from from and we talked about this Derek. I don't care. He, he, he was i don't care do you know may, well may, that guy's may, beating the hell out of de, that woman over there de, but de, you know what de, he's having Derek, a psychotic episode so we should let that de, slide no i didn't say him. that hmm? i didn't say that I know what that. i was I about to say was that he was at number one from what we have read, he was suffering from autism, and the second th- thing, he was also uh, suffering from schizophrenia. Now, okay. there so, are, I, you know, I'm sure that you've been around young adults who have autism. Yeah. And anybody that has either raised an autistic child into an adult, um, they worry how... Depending on, of course, there are all shades. There are a lot of shades of autism, obviously. And so my reaction to it has been very similar to yours. Why, for years, especially what we learned was that New York Social Services had him on a list that is kept of the top, whatever it is, 150, I forget the number right now, of people that were in need of services. So my question goes back to why was he not in a program? We spend billions on these programs, millions and billions. Why was he not in a program where he would not be a threat to other people? And during the funeral services, Al Sharpton played that down. He said, you know, he wasn't annoying other people. He was crying for help. Now, it is true that his last words were a cry for help. Mm-hmm. He said, I'm hungry. I don't have anywhere to live. I want to die. I'll people on this train if I don't get a sandwich. Uh, don't, no, no, don't make light of that. Just, I mean, He wasn't just sitting there going, he was, but he was I, threatening. I'm a little bit it was a threat. I really use a bowl of chili. He was getting... He was getting more and more animated. I guarantee if you were on that train, you would have been uncomfortable at a minimum. You're daggone right, and everybody was, which is why it requires someone to step in. 
and someone did step in. But I'm just saying for, for Sharpton to characterize it, oh, he wasn't threatening people. He was just a, a, a cry for help. Yeah, it's true. It was a cry for help, but he was threatening people. And that was the entire reason that this Marine bravely stood up, this former Marine, and tried to de-escalate the threat to people. And to ignore that is, as you say, to ignore the truth of the moment. And why is Sharpton so willing to ignore the truth of the moment? Because it fits his narrative. <laughs> that he was no, choked, as, cho- as, 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 as choked as he said that Mr. Neely was choked by all of us. Well, he was not choked by all of us. You know, Democrats do that. I didn't know that Sharpton had said that, but Democrats do that all the time. Remember when Me Too blew up and liberal after liberal in the media and in Hollywood are like being exposed as a pervert. There goes Charlie Rose. There goes Matt Lauer. And what what did they say? Oh, this is a moment where we all we all have to look at what we've done. Like I didn't play grab ass in the office. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't have a little button under my desk that wouldn't let the intern out unless we got it on. All right. I didn't have anything to do with this, but they just can't go. God, we really screwed up. It's it's everybody's fault. That's not how it works. If Al Sharpton cared so desperately about Jordan Neely, Al Sharpton lives in the same city as Jordan Neely. He could have done something about it. How much? How many uh, homeless? schizophrenia centers are there funded by the National Action Network throughout Manhattan? Ooh, good question. How many of them are there? How many of them were funded by the mayor's office with the billion dollars that Uh, de Blasio gave his wife? The mayor wasn't giving the the, uh, eulogy to a guy he'd never met and didn't care about. Now, if Al Sharpton, which do you think is Al Sharpton owns more homes around the country or he has more schizophrenia centers? Which one is it? Does he owe more in taxes to the IRS, or does he have more people on staff desperately combing the underbelly of Manhattan to try and find people in need of help who've fallen through the cracks? Which one is it? I'll take, I'll take door number A. Yeah, I thought so. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley. It is our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Derek Hunter's here with us. 800-848-WABC is the number. Michael Jackson, are you dancing to this, Derek? I can't see you right now. Are you I'm a impersonating? Desk, but I am tapping my foot. Well, that doesn't work as a full-on Michael impersonation. No, there's, it's no, not no, an impersonation. Don't, 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 you're lip-syncing, don't you're not impersonating. Copyright okay. infringement is fast. Coming back, don't go away. Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. One of my favorite songs, probably of all time, the Bee Gees. Of course, the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack that gave us this classic. Two thousand twelve, Robin Gibb, one third of the BGs. Singer, songwriter, helped turn that group into the phenomenon that they were. On today's date, 
Robin Gibb passed away 2012. The music is going to be here forever. It's one of those songs that I got the lyrics wrong my entire life. What did you think they were saying? You come to me on a submarine. You go come to me on a submarine. It seemed <laughs> weird. It seemed like an odd way to get around town, but that's what I heard. So better than I get high in Milwaukee. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's good. Nothing's better than I get high in Milwaukee. Who gets high in Milwaukee? Why haven't I? Been that was Scott. Right? That's what Scott thought they were. Sick. Which one was that Scott in the um, living? Uh, whatever the other one, the dance tune. Yeah, I can't think of it right now. Another BG staying alive. It was staying no, alive. Staying alive. I get high in Milwaukee. I can't do it when the other song that. is playing. I can't think of it. Think okay, of it. That, that, if you ever want to walk, it's if you ever want to walk cool, you pop that song on in your earbuds and you walk down the street. You can't help <laughs> but walk cool to that beat. I've, and I've said before, and I'm going to say it again. This song to me is, um, if you're a songwriter, if you and, and I hope you back me up on this, Diego, that that's, that this is it, yeah, Night Fever. Night Fever, yeah. Okay. But to me, deep in, How Deep Is Your Love is a perfection. The production was perfect. The, the song, perfect. Lyrics, perfect. You can't do better than that. This, this is the song where you get high in Milwaukee? It's yeah. the second verse. It's okay. the end of the second verse. Okay. I, I really can't picture where that would go. I think everybody's on board with the submarine. <laughs> you come to me on a submarine. You guys. She's devotion, man. Got a canal all the way to her house. She lives in Arizona. <laughs> I always love this song too. This song like has a, a swing to it. You know what did I mean? You go dancing to this stuff. Were you? Were oh you, yeah, I did back in the day. Decked out in polyester and a collar so big. Yes, glide with yes. Enough starch. Well, I didn't do a lot of poly, except for the shirts. But I had bell bottoms. I had um. But please, I was a musician, so I also had oh. a different look. And I had to do the shirt with like the one button just above the belly button and everything else was just left to God. No, but what I did, I had a fur vest. And so I used to do the fur vest Real with an open fur? Yeah, kind of kind of faux wookie fur. But I mean, I had the look, man. I had uh I had red platform I had red platform shoes. Right, How go. big were the platforms? Hold on, hold on. Here we go. Milwaukee. I, I, hear, I, get high, I get high in Nevada. I get higher in Milwaukee. Hang on. Where? Here we go. I get high in Nevada. I get higher in Milwaukee. Yeah, that's I right. can see that. <laughs> I can see that. Not a lot to do in either place. Hey, I really thought that was what they were saying. What are they like, saying now that I don't I don't remember what? now. They're not saying I, I get, get high while I'm walking is what he's saying, but I don't hear that. I, I still hear Milwaukee, even after knowing. <gasps> and they still commissioned the uh, Red October in, in my version of How Deep Is Your Love. Yeah. Sean Connery. But I'm going to tell you something. The 1970s fashion was the best. Okay. 1970s, early 80s, before everything got you, glammed. I have a pro- There's a lot of things that are the 70s that I have a problem with. I could do the rest of your show about the 70s. First of all, yeah. Uh, my wife 
where she currently works now when she started well, 10, 15 years ago, whatever it was, she worked for Fred Grandy. Remember Fred Grandy? Gopher? No. Love Boat? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was a member of Congress, uh, a bunch of things. She'd never seen The Love Boat, so I bought seasons one and two of The Love Boat on DVD. The Love Boat, Doc Bricker and Gopher were just this side of serial rapists on The on the Love Boat. <laughs> Honest to God, they're, per- they're wearing short shorts and tube socks up to their knees, and they are really just a couple of Harvey Weinsteins running around with a captured audience every week. There's some new woman that they're trying to both go after. You couldn't make that show today. In the 1970s, Bo, since you're loving it so much, there was a very weird obsession with 18-wheelers and monkeys. What was that about? There's a lot of movies with orangutans. Clint Eastwood made two movies with orangutans. Why? And then you people drive in the countryside, the CB radio, they've got the big rig, and then there's BJ and the bear. Why the hell is he driving around the country with a monkey? There You're was a lot of monkey humor. There wasn't... was a lot of I don't do windows by uh, Well, there like, was a lot of animals. Set. I mean, I mean, remember that, that uh, Beretta, who, before he got charged for murder back then, used <laughs> to have the, the, the big whatever it was, the African gray or yeah, whatever on his show. It was a bird. Yeah, and it's then there was a show. It's not a primate that'll rip your face off. Though, let me tell you, those things can rip your face off. Dude, you, you sit there with a bird and you go, and you might start a conversation with a nice lady. If you're sitting in your big rig, so as someone who's next never to an been orangutan, by a bird, I if guess. you're sitting there in your big rig next to an orangutan, even the prostitutes at the truck stop are going to look twice at you. Well, then we had this, this obsession with animals. I mean, it all started with Lassie and Flipper. Okay, the decade before the seventies were very. I say this as somebody who absolutely thinks Burt Reynolds is one of the coolest people ever to live, and that the Smoking the Bandit first one is a great movie. But it was a weird obsession with trucks. There was a weird obsession with monkeys. There was just all sorts of bizarre things in the 70s. And the everything music was amazing. The music, the music was great. The music scene was amazing. The music was and, great. And the music, the you 70s. You needed to get high in Milwaukee in order to tolerate the fashion and everything else. <laughs> the only way to sleep with a monkey in the room was to be high in Milwaukee. I guess. I don't want to think about Sleeping exactly. with monkeys. Thank you. All right. I, Avery, um, are you going shopping this weekend? Because if you are, we have a hint for you. I got. We got somewhere that you should go for shopping, Avery. What type of shopping? Food shopping or clothes shopping? Tell them, Scott. Uh, consumers creeped out by Target's tuck-friendly women's swimwear. <laughs> shopping elsewhere. I guess they're. I, have you heard about this? I haven't heard about this. Have you heard about this? I remember when the tuck rule applied what? to football. Tuck fr- what? what? Tuck friendly. Tuck friendly women's swimwear. Uh, shortly before Pride Month in June, Target stocked up multiple items for multiple gender expressions. Some consumers are condemning Target for selling women's style swimsuits that advertise tuck friendly construction to hide male genitalia. Well, Bud Light made headlines recently for marketing for a marketing oh. gimmick. I'm sorry, I have I have a terrible now cold. Now you by get the way. it. If I sound uh, a little nasal, if I sound nasal and very heavily over the counter medicated right now, um, <laughs> you sound like you're high you're in the water. Yeah, you sound like you're on in a submarine. Walking. On a submarine, with the trans, uh, they were uh, marketing gimmick with a transgender activist. Target has a history of being at the forefront of woke identity politics. The Target 
Uh, the retailers sparked a boycott in 2016 after it posted a public statement declaring that transgender team members and guests are permitted to use the restroom or fitting room facility that corresponds with their gender identity. All right, so let me ask you a question. Uh, now you know, Avery, are you going to rush out to Target to get your tuck friendly uh, swimwear? Have you all seen the picture of this guy that said, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be insensitive. This person that is in a woman's one-piece swimsuit. Yeah, but we're not supposed to say that he's a guy, Derek. So what? You're not supposed to do a lot of things. You're not supposed to smoke, James. If you quit, no. So spare me. I'm not going to be dragged into somebody else's delusion. It's a guy. Now we're talking about drag. The guy with his junk tag back, so he's sitting there in a swimsuit. Look. The problem with Target wasn't that this stuff exists. I don't really care what consenting adults do. I couldn't care. They have to explain their lives to God. I don't. But um, that they had children's sizes, that was the outrage that I saw. Yeah, for, for Tuck. For, tuck, uh, tuck. for so, young boys. Yeah. I would um, I would say that the problem wouldn't be with Target. It's with the beach, right? Because you don't get to see You're not going to see anything in Target. They're going to be in the dressing rooms. So the problem is the problem is the actual beach where they're going to be. No, no, no. Oh. There, were, there were people were outraged because it's 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 not just that they have these swimsuits; it's that they have like in you know how if you go through a Target at the corners of each little aisle thing or main section thing, they have a big display. Yeah, they've got a huge display of. It's not June yet, but they're already celebrating Pride Month there, and they've got a bunch of. Pride displays in the kids section. Well, That's what, where the outrage comes. Cardboard cutouts? Uh, no signs, shirts that say uh, "queer, queer, queer, queer" uh, for five-year-olds. Um, tuck underwear, tuck binding tuck underwear. Underwear. For, I'm binding Ooh, uh, bras that. to hide breasts in Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. What? Yeah, Hold no, on, they've got the full regalia. That, that's for, I think this is great. That's for women trying to hide their breasts? That's for t- trans men. For so men? They, yeah, because total male domination. <laughs> Who makes the best woman? Men. A man. Easily. Look at, look at Sports Illustrated. Who makes total, the best woman? A man? Total male domination. That's what I support. Man, that's... Uh, I want to see... People retire from the NBA and go, you know what, I'm non-binary, and then just make the WNBA into something people would actually watch by turning it into the senior circuit for the NBA. Michael Jordan comes out of retirement right now. He'd dominate the WNBA to this day. You know it. So just, Mike, just come out and say, you know what, I feel pretty, and then uh, get out there and and drain some threes. No, I I would do that for the college basketball players who don't get drafted. I would just throw on a wig and some panties. Didn't they make a movie called Juana Man yeah. doing just that? Yeah, Juana Man. Yeah. The Academy That's screwed what I over do. whichever oh. Wayne's brother was in that one. Uh, Plan B. Plan B. Oh, I my see gosh. you over there WNBA. WABC Talk Radio 77. We're coming back, ladies and gentlemen. Roxanne, the police, on W. She Man, was a real woman. I'm telling you, Roxanne, no doubt about it. Keep that red light on, baby. Coming back right after this. You don't have to put on the red light. The 
Saturday morning radio extravaganza is in your ears. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. Nineteen seventy eight. Sir Paul McCartney, six solo single. This one hit number one. With a little luck, we can help it out. We can make this whole damn thing work. Let me ask you something, James. You're yeah. a music guy, and I think you'd rather be uh, have been a wildly successful musician than a wildly successful radio host. If you could have played on one album, been in the room when it was created, you don't get the writing credit, you don't get any, but you're, you're whatever you want to play on it, and you get to be in the room in the creative process from conception to release date, what album is it? That's a tough one. It depends on what... There are too many for me to just pick one. But you if I pick it, one. And, okay, if I had to pick one. Yeah. I would have loved to have been on, to be able to play on a record that you may not even know, uh, you may, Mahu Vishnu Orchestra. And I would like to have played on their first release. Um, that album, Mahu Vishnu Orchestra, had John McLaughlin guitar, Billy Cobham, I think it was Hans Zimmer was playing um, on it. It was a collection of some of the most amazing musicians in the world. And there's one song on it called Miles Ahead where they did a um, a reboot of a Miles Davis, of the Miles Davis song, Miles Ahead. And to me, when I listen to that, it is one of the finest pieces of music that I've ever heard, just music. And, man, if I could ever play on that level that I could have been on that record. I remember the first time I listened to that record at home, my dad told me, would you please just, he said, I can take a lot, but I can't take this. Turn it off. Turn it off. Can I just say that you, 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 I guess you gave the musician's answer. I was thinking more Mm -hmm. of like the fanboy answer where you're like, oh my God, this is one of my favorite records, my favorite group. And, well, Who wouldn't want to, I'd love to be the, in the room when the Beatles recorded Revolver or Sgt. <gasps> Pepper or something, you know? Oh, my, yes. Yeah, but yeah. you went with something that you really, you sat down and you studied rather than something that you... No, not know. just studied. I played air drums with it. I played air guitar. I played air violin because there's violin on it. Um, the violin not a lot of girls in your childhood, huh? A lot of girls in my childhood, I'll have you know. They have big fans but, I mean, of the air on, violin. Music, you know what I mean? I have a question. Go ahead. So you just, with the the, uh, Paul McCartney, just reminded me of this. So when the Bee Gees came out, people thought that it stood for Beatles group, right? That is a common fact. You've heard that? I never heard that. You never never heard heard that? that I just watched the Bee Gees documentary on HBO. It's a great documentary, but I, they never said why, that I, at least I didn't catch where the name came from, which I thought That's what I was going to ask. Well, Brothers Give, right? I mean, BG's Brothers Give. But I, I was going to ask why people thought they sounded like the Beatles, because I don't hear it, but you didn't. You haven't heard that. that uh, well, the early BGs didn't sound like the disco BGs. Okay. You know, when I mean, you go back and you listen to the BGs early music, they, it's a, it's, BGs were a profound group. I didn't really appreciate them. 
this flower child flower childy stuff. It was. Well, I can't wait till some of the musicians weigh in because you know Derek, you the you the man. Let me ask you some political questions here before we get too far. Editorial board, Derek. I need some rapid answers on some of this stuff. I want to know what you, how you would respond rapidly to the New York Times editorial board today. Their lead editorial is a question: Why is George Santos still in office? What is your response to that? Because he was elected. Oops. But he has not been convicted of anything. It's that simple. Convict him of something. Or credibly accused. He's a weird dude. He's got issues. But why is he still in Congress? Why are half these morons still in Congress? Honest to God, I've never seen anybody get so worked up and bent out of shape about a backbencher whose you know, best hope of a long career is to be faded into insignificance. He doesn't matter. He's one vote out of 435. But because it's such a tight house, Democrats want him out there so they can throw everything at the the special election to fill that seat. That's it. If the Republicans had the House of Representatives by 20 seats, George Santos would be the sideshow that he is with nothing else. It wouldn't be the well, moral obligation. We've got to get... You're watching people who probably paid off 15 different staffers for sexual harassment claims with taxpayer money talk about, my God, George Santos lied, lied during his campaign. Okay, tell me more about the Russian dossier, the Steele dossier, please, you bastion of truth-telling. They're all scumbags, but they're elected. That's it. That's how it works. You want him out? Beat him or convict him. Charging him isn't enough. Next, Republican senators, GOP senators, this is in the Hill today, GOP senators are unsettled by DeSantis' escalating fight with Disney. (gasps) Are you unsettled? Do you are you unsettled by Ron DeSantis and Disney feuding? Were it not for the kitten party on my head this morning at six a.m., the thought of upsetting Disney would have woken me up at six a.m. James, that's just how unsettled I am. No, I don't give a damn. You know, if you have any sense of news, of course, people in media don't seem to follow the news anymore. And for uh, far too many young producers, history begins anew every day when they wake up. When Bob Iger came back to Disney back in uh, November of last year, in his opening statement or shortly thereafter, one of the things he mentioned he was considering that they might stop was the expansion, the billion-dollar expansion of Disney down there. So this has nothing to do with it. Now, he might be couching it in those terms, but... Uh, people with a, a, a memory longer than that of a gnat would remember that he was talking about this, that the company, he came back not because, wow, things are going so well, we've got to go back to where we were. Things were not going well at all. So when you come in and things are not going well and you're losing money, you look at ways to cut things. Talk to me when somebody tees up a giant driver with that Epcot Center and moves it to some other state, because that ain't going to happen. Disney is where Disney is, and they are hurting right now, so they're making decisions. They're trying to also curry favor with a certain group of people because, look, if you've got to do some unpopular things, you might as well couch it in something that at least in your particular uh, cocktail party circuit is popular so you can at least come out as a hero. Now, this is what is not being reported widely, and you will find this buried 
near the uh, fourth to last paragraph in a political story this morning. Despite scuttling the Lake Nona plans, and that's the one everyone's going on and on about, where Disney's going to pull out $1.7 million or something like that in investment, yeah. Disney officials said they still intend to invest $17 billion in Florida and create 13,000 jobs over the next decade in Florida. So apparently, just because they're scuttling this one product, as you said, and this was put in place by his predecessor, and it was up for grabs anyway. They never acted on it. Despite all of that, despite these headlines that, ooh, Disney is, is still, re- and, and they're still at war. They're still, the company is still planning on putting $17 billion in the state of Florida, despite Ron DeSantis being the governor there and creating 13,000 new jobs in Florida. Okay, next one, Scott. Here's one for you. Yes. The U.S. Embassy in Brazil has released an instructional video on the importance of using neutral pronouns. Oh, God. <laughs> they have. The, oh, because the, I was asking Diego about that. Right. You were well, asking this is Portuguese, the, though. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. It's still the romance language. And Diego still a romance language. So, Diego, uh, Scott, the U.S. Embassy in Brasilia. Brazil, has published a video teaching the importance of using gender-neutral pronouns, including Z. Oh, they're z, making them up. Zim. Yeah. Z and Hir. Yeah, they, they, this is the U.S. State Department, guys. This is what our federal government... Never hire State anybody Department. with pronouns in their bio anywhere or in their email. Never hire anybody. It'd be a lawsuit to fire. And just... You know, our enemies, there was a time when we had to worry about our enemies attacking us through terrorist attacks or whatever means. Now our enemies just have to sit back and wait. The left Speaking will of that, destroy just, this country. Uh, Catholic, or a, it wasn't Catholic, but a Christian school in upstate New York somewhere. Just fired. Just, yeah, just fired two people for having pronouns in their, in their email. I know, and they're going to get sued over it. I promise I'm sure they you. are. Yeah. Okay, we're coming back, ladies and gentlemen. Saturday morning, Radio Extravaganza here, WABC. Keep it right here. 800-848-WABC. The number to call. Be right back. Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. WABC Talk Radio 77 in New York. Saturday morning radio extravaganza. All are welcome to 800-848-848. WABC. I was watching an old David Letterman, late night with David Letterman, with Steve Winwood on it, and they had, and Paul Schaefer was trying to play this song while Steve Winwood sang. Just could not do it. He butchered it. Well, I mean, he was took it just took every, he's just sweating. He looks like he's he's just looks like he's about ready to keel over. It was it was so difficult for him to try to 
how to play the keyboard on this song. Well, you know, this is... This one never gets old. Because the keyboard is like every instrument in this song. It's like, that's all there is. Well, you know... And it's wrong. A lot of synths, but the synths sound real. Well, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying it's very difficult to play. Oh, yeah. Technology is wonderful. Did you say, Derek, did you see they had an insurrection out in Nebraska last night? No, I did not. What happened? Did we lose corn? No, Nebraska lawmakers gave final approval to legislation that bans, <clears throat> quote, gender-affirming health care for transgender minors. Good. Good. And, and, prohibits... and then the people who advocate for the... Remember when genital mutilation was frowned upon? Yeah, I do. It wasn't that long ago that everybody kind of agreed that that was a bad thing. I mean, I remember when Dr. Mengele used to, when we used to talk about those horrible experiments that Dr. Mengele mm-hmm. did on kids and people were revolted by it. I actually, make a, I'm writing my column right now for tomorrow for Town Hall, and I, I dropped a, a Mengele reference. Yeah, because I remember the experiments that he used to do were very, and, and I, when I, I don't want to say similar, but they were equally as repulsive as some of these mutilations. Yeah. And the world used to look on that with horror and say, this man is probably one of the worst human beings on the face of the earth. Now you have hospitals rushing into this to make money, and you have a whole advocacy arm of the Democrat Party and the left wing. The human rights campaign is pressuring hospitals with the help of pharma to gender-affirming care, make it available for children. Why? Because you make lifelong voters in the Democratic Party, or at least uh, a lot of them, and you make lifelong customers for the pharmaceutical industry. Yep. You, you can't just go, all Once right. Once you're on those drugs, you're on them for your, the rest you of your life. You have to, or your body will revert back to its natural state, its real state. Now, I nobody, know. I'm going to say something here that nobody has, uh, that I have read yet. We keep seeing all these incidents where these trans um, gender people are involved, like this this Starbucks thing the other week over in the UK, where this guy is being really hostile toward a customer. You've seen these trans calls for violence, mm-hmm. and it's almost all the like rest you're dealing with people who are mentally unstable and should get help for it, rather than surgery, right? Cause now, I'm, this is my point, Derek. People that take Lupron Depot, and that's one of the drugs that's being used here, it produces mood swings in a human being like you would not believe. How do I know? Because I had to take the drug. It's a cancer drug. And what it does is it throws your moods. If you're a guy, you have never experienced anything like what will happen to your moods with this drug. And no one is making the link to all of these angry, angry, hostile transgenders that are on this drug that are behaving in these hostile ways. And when I look at it, I say, oh, well, I'm not surprised by any of it. This because it's is... not care, James. They're not administering right. care. It's a gender-affirming care. So if there's something that doesn't affirm their gender delusion 
it's not considered care and therefore isn't allowed. So thou shalt not speak ill of it. It's that simple. Well, what Nebraska also did, and we only have a few moments left, Derek, they also prohibited abortion after 12 weeks. Republicans, I think, are scared to death going into 2024 that abortion. My question is this. Why don't they run on this instead of run away from it? Why don't they message that, hey, this is what federalism is? If you don't like it, change it on the state level. This is the, because you've got idiots like Lindsey Graham going, we, uh, we want to return this to the states. Oh, now we've returned to the states. Now I want a federal ban in a year that he wasn't up for re-election. After Democrats had sort of calmed down a little bit about it, he introduced his ban, his federal ban, and that got them all riled up again. And I, I think you could probably trace 10 seats in the House and maybe one or two in the Senate right back to Lindsey Graham's desperate scramble for relevance or attention. Derek you Hunter, believe in federalism gentlemen. or you don't, man. You either believe in it or you don't. You can find him at townhall.com, Derek Hunter. And you can find him every week here with us. Derek Hunter is also... Well, we're running out of time. I can't tell you where else you can find him. Podcast, Thank you, Derek. Search the name. Find him. Podcast, search the name. We're coming back. Our number duo. Thanks, guys. Saturday morning, Radio Extravaganza. Do not go away. Danny's still in there, right? It's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. Our number duo underway on our Saturday morning radio extravaganza, 800-848-WABC. Thanks to those of you on hold. We will be getting to your phone calls in this half hour or hour, this half hour. But if you want to give us a call, 800-848-WABC is that number. Danny. Yes. What's up? I mean, I, so how are those Knicks of yours doing? I don't, doing I'm not a play? Knicks fan. Oh, I don't like oh, the Knicks. I mean, that's the right. They're gone. Oh, you're a Lakers fan. Yeah, and they're, they're not doing well. But they play. They Hopefully they right the ship at home. They're actually undefeated at home. Right the what? Right, right the ship. That's not what I heard you say, but okay. I said with with a P, with a P, with a P. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So who? who why they're going to do what at home? What? Where are the Lakers? Are they like looking they're, like they're going to lose? They're everything? zero two, and honestly, oh, their last outing, they really shot themselves in the foot. LeBron James and Anthony Davis didn't play that well. Nikola Jokic played like garbage. And they still found a way to win because, you know, there's this other guy in the Nuggets called Jamal Murray who's pretty good, who had a really strong effort. So the Lakers really got to figure some stuff out if they want to get back into the series. But I think LeBron James said it best. He was like, you know, this isn't the NCAA tournament. It's the first team to four wins. So there's still time. And it's good because they're at home. If it was on the road, I'd be a little more nervous. All right. So it's the Lakers and the Nuggets. And um, then who else is, uh, yeah, is the, that it? The is Celtics and the Heat. I, I mentioned them at the end of my report, but I actually, I wrote this up for you, James. I have a special little report. I want to talk to you about some things. I think okay. you'll find an aspect of this very interesting. So in Boston, where we lay our scene, my God, did the Celtics wet the bed on their home floor. They lost game two. You heard me say it. The Heat have stolen two games on the road. They play in South Beach tomorrow. 
They're probably going to get that 3-0 series lead. Jimmy Butler, who, by the way, the Internet has this really funny joke of him being Michael Jordan's son. Look it up. It's hilarious. He led the way for Miami with 27 points. This guy, Caleb Martin, who's ordinarily a nobody, he decided to play basketball the other day. He scored 25 points on 69% shooting. Really nice shooting percentage. But the Celtics, I mean, they really threw this game away. Because Jalen Brown, he couldn't throw a rock into the ocean if he tried. 7 of 23 from the floor, non-factor all night. But the big story of this game, James, Grant Williams, he's been banished to the Celtics bench for much of this playoff run, but he came out of the doghouse. He stuck a three in the fourth quarter to put Boston up 96-87, and then he thought it would be a good idea to go up to Jimmy Butler, go up right in his face, and start talking some trash to this guy who has a reputation of being one of the fiercest competitors in pro sports. The Miami Heat then outscored Boston 24-9. Jimmy Butler scored nine points by himself, and they won the game. And the, the funny part is that after the game, Jimmy was asked by a reporter, you know, what did you think about Grant Williams, you know, coming up into your face, making those statements? This is what Jimmy said. He, he's a big part of what they try to do. He switches. He can shoot the ball. Um, I just don't know if um. I'm the best person to talk to. <laughs> He's basically, you know, don't you can you can talk to trash, but you know, don't talk it to me. That's don't talk it to me because you know I'm gonna get you back. So that's the hilarious part where this guy, he you know, he was kind of feeling himself. He hit that three; it was a big shot. And then he's like, oh, you know, I'm gonna get in Jimmy Butler's face. Bad idea. You got smoked in the last, I don't know, six minutes. Wow. So, all right, so who are you predicting is going to go all the way here? I think Miami is really, I mean, they're they're playing really well. Unless Boston makes some serious adjustments, I do not have faith in Joe Mazzula. He is a very untested coach, in my opinion, and he has not been able to find a way to outsmart Eric Spolstra of Miami, who is one of the best coaches in the league. So I think this, the Heat, they're probably going to win in five. I think they'll win on Sunday. I think they might lose their next game, but from there on, they got it. Wow. All right. Now, I'm not going to let this uh, time with you go by. I know you are too young, and I don't say that pejoratively or meanly. You you didn't watch Jim Brown play. You couldn't. You weren't weren't around. Yes. Okay. I watched. Gosh, this sounds like I'm so freaking old. But I did, when I was a kid, see Jim Brown play uh, football. And Jim Brown passed away. The reactions, if you look around the sports world, um, I'm sure you've seen it. The reactions are everywhere to Jim Brown. But this is a guy who left his career at the height of it. He didn't leave when um, he left the NFL at the height of his career. He could have played on and on and been continued to be. Some people consider him the greatest football player ever. I don't know about that because there's so many great ones. I don't know how you just say one guy's the greatest ever in almost anything unless it's somebody like a Jordan, but even now people say LeBron is whatever. But Jim Brown was also a social activist, an actor. He was one of the first breakthrough African-American actors in Hollywood. He, this was a guy that just, he was a phenomenal human being. I may not have agreed with all of the causes that he was about or everything that he, but he was a true legend and a true human being that achieved greatness in his life. And that greatness, I think, is being reflected in all of the eulogies and all of the accolades that are in the media today if you look over his passing. Jim Brown was one of a kind. 
Yeah, I I penned a quick article for the sports site for 77 WABC, you know, summed up basically all you just said in a much more condensed form. He certainly from reading about him as somebody who's not a big football fan in general, clearly an all-time great. Did you know that he's also in the Lacrosse Hall of Fame because in college he was also considered one of the nation's best lacrosse players? I mean, this guy, he did it all. He was an unbelievable athlete, once in a generation competitor, and obviously had a had a much deeper legacy than sports. He actually retired because of his acting career, which was right. which was interesting to learn about. But I mean, even though he left in his prime, there's no he left no doubt. Essentially, he left no doubt that he was the greatest. Yeah, Jim Brown. So thank you, Danny. We look forward to uh, next week's report on where we're going. Boy, when the basketball season is over, you're going to be a lonely guy. I mean. Yeah. What are you going to start talking about then? Hockey? No, well, well hockey will wait. probably be over. I, I, I despise baseball, personally. I think it's a very boring you game. You despise baseball? I think it's a boring game. I think it has no, it's a, not a modern game. I think it is not marketable. And I think a lot of the, a lot of the discourse around the sport is very, is very lowbrow and petty. But that's just me. That's just my controversial opinion about baseball. You're not a football guy. You're not a, you, you think baseball sucks. I, I, and I'm not a I'm not a football guy in terms of soccer either. I don't really like it. I and then basketballs. I I'm a basketball junkie. I live and die by hoops. But I also really enjoy uh, track and field. I love watching track and field. Oh, now there's a not boring sport. Let's watch people run around in circles. No, but it's not just running. It's you run. <laughs> there's events on the field: pole mm, vault, javelin, circle, well, jab, there's, here's, high jump. He's first. Have you oh, ever been to the pen relays? Have you ever been oh, to the pen relays, James? Right. Have you ever been to the pen relays? That's the mecca of, of track. Of course not. It's the I, mecca. I, of course of not. Track. Even when I was a kid, and they were like track and field, I'm like, are you kidding me? You want me to run around a circle? That's it. I'll tell no. you. I'll tell you a quick story before I go. So when I went to the pen relays in high school multiple times because we competed, I saw this this kid from some island in the Caribbean. He came to do high jump, and what he did was before he jumped, he started doing the thunderclap. You know, when you start clapping, everyone starts clapping. But as you keep clapping, you get faster, right? He was going for the. For, I think it was a record at the meet, the highest possible height for the meet, six foot nine. As we hit our fastest clap. He cleared it, and my goodness, can you? The stadium exploded. I thought it was at the Super Bowl. Just, it was electric. It's what, it's something that you. It's really. What, yeah, was, it, was it sold out? It was it was sold out. It's always sold out. People no, come from all over the world to watch the pen out. relays. Yes, it was. It was not sold out. It was sold out. Listen, you, people, it was sold out. People are listening. Don't lie like that. The year after, <laughs> the year after, it wasn't sold out because it was a torrential downpour. And somebody actually, I think somebody tripped on one of the wires and had to go to the hospital. You don't but, like the top three most popular sports in the world, but you like track. I'd argue basketball is the second most popular sport in the world. Behind who? Behind, behind soccer. Football. football. Okay, soccer. Yeah. Football is the second then. American football is the second. Uh, and then soccer's first. But that's really concentrated in North America. But you don't like any of them. Okay. Am I, am I not allowed to have opinions? I just don't like the sports. You, you I like basketball. You, but you, you, you cater to the masses, though. Cater to, cater to the masses. I'm allowed to how, feel how I feel, though. Yeah, no, you are. But you are WABC voice to the world. You represent us. Okay. Just because I don't like it doesn't mean I won't talk about so it. Danny, I write... do you, are you going to report on synchronized swimming, too? For Thank us? you. Synchronized swimming. I mean, it's... Cur- Curling. I don't look. I shouldn't be making fun of anything because all these... No, seriously. To be an athlete, and, and it's even in track and field, I understand. It takes dedication. It takes work. And, I mean, this is not easy work. 
Oh, absolutely. It's dedicated. Absolutely. Even, even bicyclists, you know. Absolutely. You be, but when it comes to on, when it comes to seven, eight, nine figure TV deals. Well, yeah, it's not it's not a marketable game. It's Thank fun. you. Oh, no, all right then. They're game. They're like box lacrosse. Box lacrosse is fun to watch, but that that will that is a sport that what? is very has a very Thank niche you. interest. It's in it's lacrosse, but it's indoors. That's what it is essentially. Box lacrosse. I didn't even watch lacrosse what? when it was outdoors. You, you're gonna learn a hard lesson when you get out to that real, real world, man. I'm what t- about pickleball, Danny? Are you gonna now, that, now that's a growing sport. That's a sport that I'm telling you. In like ten years, there there won't be a national pickleball league, but it'll be the game you see at parks. It'll be a basketball court, a baseball field, and a pickleball court it's at basically that. every park. Yeah, people people are already investing in like leagues for it and stuff. Yeah, but that's in like major floor. urban centers. Like once you'll see it in the suburbs more in the years to come. I guarantee yeah, you. Football, man. American football. Start there and stay there. <laughs> <laughs> you, you'll never go broke, Danny. Danny, thank you so much, Danny. And and again, I just want to say for all the fans out there, Jim Brown, man, he was yeah, Jim Brown. This is it, I think to me next to Muhammad Ali, uh, Jim Brown represents the the most incredible single athlete of that era. You know, I had the good fortune of meeting Muhammad Ali once too. And let me tell you, he was he he was so much fun and so nice. And he this thing that he does, you, you know, you'll see it where he you, you meet him and then he just gives you the hands and starts, you know, gives you a little bit of uh, 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 sparring. And so yeah, he did that way, and it was just amazing. And he was just the sweetest guy. And at the time, he was still, I think, probably one of the most world's recognizable. He was the world's most recognizable human being at that point. Um, and he was an amazing athlete, too. Jim Brown uh, passed away yesterday. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. We're coming back. Your telephone call is coming up, 800. Thank you, Danny, so much. We're going to be counting on you to keep us in the loop with what's going on in American sports, including track and field competitions. <clears throat> yeah. James Golden, that case nerdly. Thank you. Coming back right after this. The Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, aka Bo Snerdly, on 77 WABC. Line the family stone with this game changer. Do we have um, Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation in there? Keep it going, Nick. Let's mix it. 
Sly and the Family Stone, Janet Jackson. Anybody hear it? Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation. Let's head to the telephone, shall we, on this Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Robert in Suffolk County, thank you for being with us. How are you, Robert? Hello, Robert. Good, good morning. I'm very concerned, James, because of Ill- illegal immigration. It, it has been, is now, and always will be a law enforcement problem. Not only for the illegal immigration itself, but from the resulting crime from people who are here illegally upon our communities. What are you? What it in is, the world are you talking about, Robert? Resulting crime. And what, what do you mean? You mean like this case, Robert? Where? Um, where? Where? Where is it? I have to find this story. Because there was another case, I think this might be what you mean, of one of the people that just came into this country illegally, or not has been in the country illegally, uh, was found to have raped a young child. This is it right here. You can find it at thedailybs.com. Maryland rape suspect who threatened victim with machete, identified as an illegal immigrant. Immigration and Customs Enforcement confirmed the suspect, Jose Roberto Hernandez Espinal, 20, an illegal immigrant from El Salvador, came to the U.S. in 2013, accused of raping a 15-year-old at a park in Silver Spring, Maryland, just days before he raped a woman while threatening the alleged victim and her friend with a machete at the same park. You mean... That kind of a situation? Is that what you're talking about, Robert? Yes, and a lot more. These people are being let, many are being let into the country by this administration Mm -hmm. without being vetted. We know that. Yes. There is a, there is a solution. What is the solution? We, we, and Rudy agrees with me on these two points. Rudy Giuliani. Number one. Sanctuary City, whatever, is a legal fiction. There is no law supporting that. And number two, local authorities, police, can detain illegal immigrants to conduct fingerprinting, photographing, and background checks. And we're going to find a lot of bad hombres amongst those. And held Mm -hmm. for deportation. All right, let's talk about sanctuary cities for a moment. Let's let's talk about sanctuary cities. The idea under our Constitution that a city or a state, as in the case of California, can declare itself immune from federal law or sovereign over federal law is yet to be fully tested by the courts, and I don't know why. 
And part of this goes back to, now there have been court cases. If you remember, during the Bush 43 administration, there was an effort to actually take on California. And I'll, I'll have to go get the specifics, but all I know is I was surprised, or was it Trump? It may have been during the Trump years. And I was surprised that the courts did not rule in favor of the federal government in this instance. But if you look from a constitutional standpoint, California as a state has no right to declare itself above the federal government when it comes to the enforcement of federal law. The only reason they get away with it is because federal, the federal government does not press the case. And why doesn't the federal government press the case? I don't know. I don't know why Congress, a Republican Congress, has not intervened on this and specifically dealt with this issue. Now, the idea that locals can, local police officers can detain, this gets really complicated. Because now you start talking about these ICE detainers. And this is, again, where California and other states, blue states, blue cities, have turned their nose at the federal government. So we're not, gonna, we're not going to recognize your authority. This is all begging for a solution. And if a Republican president does succeed in 2024, my, my hope is that this will be one of the first things that is addressed. It has been a scab on American law for far too long that we cannot enforce our own immigration laws. And you're absolutely right. This flood of illegal immigrants now believed to be somewhere between 4.6 and 6 million people during the Biden administration. We have largely unvetted, unvetted people in the country. Again, I'm going to just say, and I say this all the time because I want to be really clear about this. The majority of these people are not criminals. The majority of them are not criminals. They're looking for a better life. The majority. That said, even a minority of 100,000, 200,000, 300,000 among the 6 million can wreak havoc on a society which is why if you go to any other nation on the face of the earth and you get try to get through their borders, you're absolutely met with a robust enforcement of the law. You don't believe me? Try to go to Canada. Try to walk into Canada without your papers being in order. Try to walk into Canada and say you want to go work in Canada. Just try it. It's not going to happen. And the idea that we let it happen here with such regularity that now the borders are open is a disgrace. And if you think that, try to go to the U.K. and tell them you're just there, screw your laws, I'm going to get a job there. Now, Europe has its own immigration problems, but it's not anywhere near like we have. There is an attempt there to actually follow law. Here we have abandoned that. There's not even an attempt being made to follow the law here. And it's disgraceful. Let's go to Sandra in New Jersey. Sandra, thank you for waiting. You're up next. Oh, it's my pleasure. Good morning. Um, 
I want to mention before I do what I was going to say, I want to go on that cruise. I, I wrote in, they didn't call back, and I tried again, and the Mark Stein dot com thing was not even you're not even i just wanted to mention that because i am interested but I well let me just tell you do me a favor just put um when when you get off don't hang up can can somebody just grab her name and number and i want to make sure that somebody gets your call back all right thank you thank you now go ahead i just i wanted to share the so the, the big contrast in immigration coming into this country. In 1903, my great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents great, great came to this country. They were named Norna and Papu. They came by boat to Ellis Island, and they, had, um, and they came here on that boat. And when all the immigrants came in, they were given they, – they all had a medical examination. And, and then they, they were told what line to go in. So Papu goes in one line, and Norna goes in another line, and they put chalk on her back. So my, my great-great-grandfather says, why is she on that line with chalk? And, and he spoke in Albanian, and, and um, the uh, employee there said, it's because she has an eye infection, and she's going to have to go back, and they're married. So the, the man told my uh, great-great-grandfather to go over there, hug her, rub her back, keep rubbing her back as you're hugging her to get that chalk off, and then gradually walk her back into your line. And that's what he did. And they came into this country, and they became great, great you know, they had nine children. One was a, um, a lawyer. One was um, a principal. Um, one was a Bombardier navigator in World War II. They had nine children, great contributors, and and it was very hard to get into this country, but they did come in, and and it's just so different now, don't you think? I do think. And look, we've also had waves of illegal immigration that came through, and by the way, they produce the same kind of outcry. We don't, we we don't, we think that this is new. Now, they did not come through in these kind of numbers that we're talking about today. There was an influx of people that came in from in a European wave of immigration. And you will remember there were horrible names that people were called, and I won't mention the names here because I don't want to offend anyone. And, and But one of them, I will say, do, do, and, and again, I'm not saying this to be provocative or to disparage me, but just to show you where it came from. You have all heard the term, I'm sure, WAP. Right, you've you've heard people say that about Italian. They used to call them WAPs. What did that mean? It meant it came from without official papers. That is where that derogatory term came from, without official papers. That was during an earlier wave of immigration during this country where we had illegal immigration. And the illegal immigration was coming in a wave from Europe. And yes, there were people in this country that were upset about it and protesting then. And yet today, if you look at the descendants of many of those people that came in to America, you wouldn't, who would think? Well, number one, the generations that succeeded that first wave of immigrants assimilated into the society. And this is where the rub is. A lot of people right now are concerned that this current wave of illegal immigrants will not assimilate. 
into the broader American society. James Golden, Snurley, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Coming right back. Don't go away. Bears heavy on my mind Then I look at you And the world's alright with me Just one look at you And I know it's gonna be A Saturday morning radio extravaganza. James, welcome aboard. Nice to see you again, sir. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. Oh, okay. You know what time it is. Midway through the show, it's time for the morning dance. Spyro Gyra brings us in. And I'm up out of my seat, rocking and rolling. Oh, here's a scary thought. I started working out again this week. Oh, yeah, for the first time in years, here we go. Time to start at least the three or four times a day workouts. And it is tough when you start getting back into the workouts, but necessary. 800-848-WABC, the telephone number to call. Time for the morning dance. Everybody here is sitting down. Get up. You too, Scott. Get up. I mean, just move your finger or something. Oh, I better watch what I say there. Thank you. Yeah. See, that's not hard, so to speak. Okay. All right. Time to question the crew. Scott, have you seen the new Sports Illustrated? Uh, I've heard all about it. Have you seen it? I don't. I saw the Martha Stewart. Have you? I don't think I saw the the trends. No, no, no. That's the one I'm talking about. The Martha Stewart. Yes, I've seen that. Yes. What do you think, Scott? I think she looks surprised. I mean, I have no idea why they're doing it whatsoever, and I haven't heard an explanation. But I think she looks just fine for a. 90-year-old or whatever. She's 81. Okay. She looks she looks shockingly she looks, good. I think she looks beautiful. WABC, what's your name? Where are you calling from? Martha Stewart? I think she okay. looks Okay. Martha Stewart. Okay. Uh, why are they doing that? I, I Let's ask Avery. Avery? Avery, got to put Avery's him down. Put phones. down the phone for a second. That's okay. We just got to grab his attention. I know he's on the phone's. If you're calling in, just be patient with Avery because we have to ask Avery his opinion. We cannot do this without the love man weighing in. Okay. Let me know when the love man is ready. Avery, have you seen the new Sports Illustrated? Not not, not the inside. Mm -hmm. I saw by I know Martha Martha Stewart was on the cover. Then you didn't look inside? Well, no, I haven't physically had it in my hand. I just know it's been a big deal in the news. How, how could you put it on the cover, and why are they putting it on the cover? You, you, you didn't want to look inside? You didn't want to go buy the magazine to, to, to see? Well, if I had the magazine, of course I would look inside. Where do you even buy a magazine? But No, but you didn't want to go buy the magazine to see. Oh, Martha Stewart? I mean, you know, they probably, 
you know, they probably, you know, they probably used a lot of, uh, you know, apparatus to, you know, to, to, to get it where, get everything where it needs to get. <laughs> she, she not gonna, she not gonna go out there and look, and look what? bad. What does that mean? Oh come on, man. We 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 we, 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 we both lived enough apparatus life. Apparatus to get everything where it need to be. We know we we, we both lived mean? enough. You, you never watched your grandmother or your mother get dressed. Or, or somebody. <laughs> no, uh, no, I haven't. Avery. No, 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 not sat, no, no, not sat there and watch, but like you know, not gonna do. There's a lot of there's a lot of inner workings that go on underneath that dress when when, when they get older <laughs> to keep everything you know to keep everything you know together. You know, God Girl. stop God stop doing your makeup around like twenty five, twenty six. <laughs> <laughs> And then after that, you know, you, if you don't want to hit the gym, then, you know, it's going to all start shifting crazy. It's a whole industry. Well, skims and spanks and there's a whole industry for it. Billionaires have been made on keeping that, keeping everything together underneath those dresses. All kind of chicken wire and barbed wire and stainless steel. <laughs> And, oh. and well, so a, you know it's a whole industry. So so I, she won't be looking bad. She she won't let herself look bad. So that's what I'm assuming. Mm. Everything's where it need to be. You know. Okay. Everything pointing in the right direction. Put, <laughs> look, look, looking. Look <laughs> Everything. Everything is in place. Uh huh. So yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I. Um, but okay, so here's the other thing. Do you believe it? Do you believe that this is really the look, or has the photo been even on the cover? Nick, what do you have? You oh, seen the cover of, of, of uh, Have you seen the cover of Sports Illustrated? All the photos are retouched. You know that. Are we talking about Martha Stewart? <laughs> yeah, we're talking about Martha Stewart. We're talking about Martha Stewart, man. I think she looks good. Yeah. Would you date her? I would. Date? I don't know. Hang out? Sure. Diego's like really into this. I'm into this. <laughs> yeah, so Diego, um, you know, because then people have been saying that, you know, Snoop hasn't weighed in on this. And I don't know what oh, that has to do with anything. I heard about that too. Well, what's going on with that? Fill me in. I don't know. Why would? Why is everybody waiting for Snoop to weigh in on this? Yeah, I, 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 I'm looking at the pictures now. <laughs> I just I just heard there's um I just I just heard rumors that they're 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 a thing. That's all I've heard, really. Man, come on. Avery doesn't think so. Yo, you know, look, look at you know she she she's on the menu. Like, <laughs> she's on the menu. She's, she's you know she's, Look at the, look at this. I'm looking at it. Yeah, I know you're looking at it, Diego. <laughs> but no, yeah. She, she like, like I said. All things considered, you know, she looks she looks okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Oh, wait a minute. There's one picture. Oh, Lord. <laughs> but all things considered except this one picture I just saw, she looks okay. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this one. Okay. Oh, man. Have you seen um have you seen the the new residents? Of Mr. and Mrs. Z in California. Okay. Scott, you... No, have, I haven't you, seen No, no. Do you know about it? No, I don't know anything about okay. it. Okay. Mr. and Mrs. Jay-Z, Mr. and Mrs. Z, 
have made a historic real estate purchase. They have shattered previous California home prices. They, the 53, Mr. Hip Hop Mogul, Mr. Z, they bought a lavish Malibu mega mansion for $200 million. It's the most expensive home ever sold in California. $200 million. Hmm. Okay. And they, it is a, um, go look at the pictures of it. It's like a concrete fortress. It is built out of all concrete. The thing that I say about this is I want to be the one, and I want you all to help me. When the reparations checks start flowing, and now the number's supposed to be um, $17 trillion or something like that that's being demanded, $17 trillion in reparations, I want to be the person that is tasked with giving Mr. and Mrs. Z their reparations check. I want to be the one that walks up to Mr. and Mrs. Z's house, if I can get in, get past the layers of security, the underground labyrinth there, and finally get to the door, ring the doorbell on the $200 million swank concrete mansion, and, hey, nope, this is not Publishers Clearinghouse. I'm here with your reparations check. I want to be that guy. So, man, they'll, they'll, yeah. they'll throw a pizza party with that. <laughs> a pizza party for the police athletic league oh man man that's two, okay 200 million dollars for a house yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a beautiful house you should see it has sweeping ocean views but it it, it looks go look at the pictures of it it's a concrete I don't want to. Look I, I look at the pictures of it, and I'm like, two hundred million dollars. Yeah. He's ma- still looking at Martha Stewart on his computer. Yeah. <laughs> I get mad if I look at the pictures of that house, but I take your word for it. They better run the pool all year round. They better not be cheap. That, the, the pool costs a fortune to heat. It's a two hundred million dollar house. I'm telling you. Okay, Queens. You know, there's a controversy going out in Forest Hill, Queens. Did you know about this? Forest Hill, Queens, the old tennis stadium there, used to be the home of the U.S. Open tennis tournament, 13,000-foot stadium. The neighbors are getting so incensed by the noise. They're doing all kind of concerts there that they're threatening to block off some of the streets so that pedestrians cannot get through unless they walk a mile away, start walking a mile away from the stadium. And apparently the number of concerts out in Forest Hill is becoming a real issue because it's what the neighbors are saying, hey, these concerts are going on too late, they're too noisy, they uh, disrupt everything. So if you're out in the Forest Hill, Queens area, let us know. I mean, if you think that this thing is a, this is a legitimate beef, let us know. 800-848-WABC is the number to call. Coming back, we are going to take your calls later in the next hour. America's small caffeinated mom will join us. Meanwhile, Martha Reeves and the Vandellas take us in. One of my favorite all-time heat wave on WABC. Stay with us.
Saturday morning radio extravaganza. James, welcome aboard. Nice to see you again, sir. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. At the uh, funeral yesterday, we're going to be back with your calls in a minute, 800-848-WABC. Coming back to your calls momentarily. One of the things that Al Sharpton said, he took took his political rhetoric and aimed it at the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis. He said, I know, Governor DeSantis, that you're putting black history and LGBTQ and Latino out of the school. I don't know what that sentence exactly means, but. I know, Governor DeSantis, that you're putting black history and LGBTQ and Latino out of the school. Okay. But I have a Bible to put in the governor's office. Because apparently you don't know what the Good Samaritan was. Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan. Well, then Ron DeSantis' office fired back. Democrats never miss an opportunity to take a political jab and to try to further and divide our country, even at a funeral. uh, DeSantis spokesperson said, save your breath, Reverend Sharpton. These attacks simply don't work on Governor DeSantis. He's not afraid to speak the truth. Now, the governor has come out in support of the, as he called him, his fellow veteran. Well, here's the thing about this, this lie that, and and I don't know what Governor DeSantis is going to do about this. This lie is coast to coast, that Ron DeSantis wants to take black history out of schools, that LGBTQ is out of the schools, and that Latino, I don't know what Sharpton means, out of the schools. This business over the black history, the facts of the matter is under Ron DeSantis in Florida, black history was mandated as a curriculum course that they that there had to be in the school curriculums in Florida mandated that black history be taught not taking it out what was objected to were these advanced placement courses in supposed black history now I have not read the exact materials in them but I've read the news reports about them some news reports and some of those news reports indicate that these advanced placement courts, courses were filled with not black history, but black, quote-unquote, queer history. And so the governor's office objected. And by the way, the people that did the advanced placement tested themselves at this look. After they reviewed it, no, these things were inappropriate for the schools. Now, there's going to be a lot of pushback on this LGBTQ business in the schools. You continue to find people that mislabel the Florida legislation there as don't say gay. What the legislation actually said, and we've talked about this many times, was that these sexual matters should not be discussed in school to these young kids. Period. I had a friend of mine out in L.A. Well, I said to him the other day that some of the things in these books were objectionable, and he didn't believe me. 
So I sent off a series of about 12 news stories outlining what was in these books. Some of these books, the most graphic, graphic, explicit descriptions of both hetero and homosexual sex sex in these books. Illustrations of boys doing things to other boys. And now some people, I don't understand why in this country it is so hard to get a consensus that this stuff should not be in the classroom, especially in elementary schools. But I wonder, these lies now have taken hold. You got Sharpton, Al Sharpton out here spouting this nonsense. But this is the tip. This stuff is now what is the common belief about DeSantis among the left. And the facts always get lost. Let's go back to the telephones. Phil, Long Island, you've been hanging on for a long, long time, Phil. Thank you for being so patient. How are you? Oh, I, I'm a very patient guy. Thank I'm fine. Thank you. Uh, I just I, uh, I just wanted to tell you, we spoke about Sissy Houston a while ago, and I, I never told you that we recorded her back in, I think, 1979 at Sigma Sound, a live version, with, in a, live ver- a live recording with, with no, no tracks uh, of Darling, Take Me Back, I'm Sorry. If you can look that up, you'll blow your mind listening to that. I think that was the best she's ever done in her life. And, oh, wow. Uh, uh, the other okay. is, and the other is, we had a group on Philly Soulville, distributed by Bell Records, called the Sound Experience from Morgan State College. And Phil Hart and Bernie Sigler from Gamble and Huff wrote a song called 40 Acres and a Mule. And you, and that's, you can get that online easily uh, with the Sound Experience and put 40 Acres and a Mule. Guess what? You'll, you'll love the song. It's a great song. It was way ahead of its time, but we had a hard time breaking it for some reason. And uh, but it, I, I don't know if we charted it or not. But that's the way that went. And the other is, um, I've listened. To everybody say that the migrants—they call these people migrants. They're not migrants that are coming here. They're illegal aliens. A migrant is a worker, like in California, who comes and does the crops and goes back home after the season. That's a migrant worker. So we have to differentiate between migrant and illegal aliens. And that's uh, and I hear that all over the place, you know. And uh, but and I got to say, uh, um, I was talking with one of the, one of the past presidents, Tim McCarthy, yesterday, and we were st- saying how great the station was doing. Uh, uh, Timmy had a shoulder uh, uh, fixed on; he had some infection on his shoulder that they fixed, and. Uh, uh, we were talking about the station, like because we were reminiscing a little bit. And uh, station sounds so good that it wants me to come back to work again. I want to come back to work and work for you guys again. <laughs> oh and, man, uh, that's wonderful, but, Phil. Look, I appreciate and, it. And so, and that I haven't heard the name Bun- Bunny Sigler in ages. I had the fortune of meeting Bun- Bunny a few times uh, back in the day. So absolutely, man. And and the things that came out on Bell Records. That Bell Records was where the Del, before the Delphonics got really, uh, and it went to Philly Groove International. It was Bell Records, I think, that released their first single. 
And man, oh man, you're talking about, all you're talking about is all the stuff that created the sound of Philadelphia. And that sound of Philadelphia, which brought in um, Leon Huff, Kenny Gamble, Tom Bell, man, that, that, that music is just incredible. And Phil, so glad you're in the audience, so glad you're a part of it. I will look up the Sissy Houston thing. Uh, Sissy Houston was a remarkable artist, never got her due. But Sissy, of course, we know the Houston that did. So it was not in vain. Thank you, Phil, so much. Appreciate it. John in Long Island, thanks for waiting. How are you, John? James, John, are you with us? Yeah, I hear you fine now. How are you, John? I'm very good. Uh, I just want to say thank you for being a truth teller in the tradition of the late, great Rush Limbaugh. Uh, things today are so upside down that simply speaking the truth makes you a master of political satire. <laughs> also, thank you for your wonderful taste in music. I know this to be true because you constantly play songs from my from my playlist, so you must be a master of good music. Well, all right, uh, and, then. And today is, today is my 60th birthday, and if, if I could... Uh, request uh, uh, 30 seconds of your precious airtime. I'd like to um, talk about paying things forward. Uh, I, I understand that we we only choice we have in, in life is to pay things forward, but I'd like to briefly use a moment to pay it backward. My uncle lost his life 78 years ago this past February as part of the 318th Infantry Regiment in Western Germany as part of the Battle of the Bulge. Uh, he did so without a thought in his mind about anyone's race, gender, or, or ethnicity, and he's being honored finally this coming Tuesday by the Massachusetts governor. And I just wanted to say, for the past generation, we haven't forgotten. Please tell us your uncle's name. John Thomas McCabe. He was one month shy of his 19th birthday when he was killed in action. Wow. Thank you for that. So, and it's and almost... birthday. Almost Memorial Day, so I want everyone out there to... Yeah, look, thank you for that. That is an incredible story. And thank you for honoring your uncle, and by way of honoring your uncle, honoring all the American lives that were lost in that incredible battle. You know, we were just talking about that battle a few weeks ago here, the Battle of the Bulge. Um, for those of you that have not studied World War II in any great, great detail. I think if you look into the Battle of the Bulge and what that was, you will understand American heroism. And without the lives that were sacrificed, like Mr. McCabe's that John just talked about, the Western world would not be standing now, I know we are, the Western civilization is in deep trouble now on many fronts. But we would not have ever made the progress that we made had the Axis powers been successful. And even as the Battle of the Bulge was being fought, we did not know the outcome of World War II. Our number two in the can, done. Our number trio coming up right after this. Don't go away. Saturday morning on WABC.
It's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snerdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. You heard Danny at the top of the hour saying that uh, there's a still gap, a vast chasm when it comes to this debt ceiling. It's going to be resolved. Well, I mean, it's either going to be resolved or we're going to have a government shutdown and we're going to default on our debts. My guess is we'll get what we usually get, which is a lot of high theater that goes right up to the deadline time. Now, you heard Kevin McCarthy saying we got to have a deal that comes out this weekend to give uh, the houses time to vote on it. Whether that's true or not, who knows? They could come out with maybe something on Monday. Usually Congress doesn't come back in session until Tuesday. Most of the lawmakers are home for the weekend in their neighborhood. So we'll see. I'm not worried about it, frankly. But here we go again. Um, Eugene Robinson, who works for the Amazon, he's a columnist with the Amazon Prime Washington Post, said uh, yesterday that Republicans are pushing for spending cuts in the debt ceiling out of cruelty. And this is what you always get from these so-called journalists, columnists. We have spent trillions of dollars that we do not have. The spending in this pandemic and the fraud was unbelievable. We are talking tens of billions of dollars wasted, fraudulently wasted. Yet when the Republicans say, okay, we need to put a cap on something, anytime you do that, you get these little lackeys for the Democrat Party, like Eugene Robinson. All oh, Republicans are being cruel. The shock that spending is going on here in Washington, you know, after spending like drunken sailors, you know, we should not be surprised. But we should remind everybody that the cruelty here, the cruelty here, is not a bug, it's a feature. The whole point right now of what the Republicans are demanding, it's the cruelty. It's not saving money. It's being performatively cruel to people they can demonize. That's what they've always done. So anytime you demand that some of these outrageous spending programs uh, be brought under control, you get that. Fulton County, this is down in Atlanta area. The Soros partially funded district attorney there, Fannie Willis, has asked judges in Georgia not to schedule trials and in-person hearings in the first half of August. That is a signal, according to The Hill, that she may bring charges against former President Trump during that time. So she's asking the judges down there to, hey, clear up the calendar. And apparently this is not going to be just one thing. She is looking for a lot of courtroom drama in August. Dave Matthews, musician, Dave Matthews Band, is saying that nobody is coming for your guns. He said that lawmakers have been able to convince the nation that the public is powerless against gun violence and the vulnerability of innocent people in this country is a sacrifice that we have to make if we want to be truly American. He says it's so mind-bogglingly cruel. It's insanity. 
He says, I have no idea how people can stand up and say it's not guns. And it's not the National Rifle Association. It's just mental health. And then do nothing to address the fact that from the 80s, we've closed every mental health institution we can in this country. He says he has many friends who own guns, but all of them would also agree that if that they prefer a person can't go into a school and blow away people after buying a gun. Yet, we're going to create this fever of discord in our society so we don't have to deal with real things, true problems like climate change, real problems. Okay. Look, I'm, I, I am sympathetic to Dave Matthews when it comes to his position on I can see that the, that what he's trying to say, number one, I agree on the, the mental health aspect of this. I don't understand how we can keep in this country, and I keep railing and railing and railing about it, how we can keep saying that mental health is a problem, and yet we know, and you know what happened here in New York, the mental institutions were shut down and the people that were in them were turned out into the streets and New York has never been the same afterwards on that we agree he says no one's coming for your guns can we just have a conversation without mad outrage I don't like being afraid of my children being murdered at school I've had to deal with my kids being at university when there's a shooting and they've lost friends now, look, I have a lot of sympathy for this. He's not talking. That, who, what parent in the world wouldn't be worried? What rational parent sending their kids to school these days, it doesn't cross your mind? I hope to God that it's never my kid involved in one of these active shooting situations. We still do not have answers for this. And it's not just one answer that we need. It's going to be, if we are ever going to get a handle on this, it is going to have to be a multi-pronged approach. We are going to have to deal with the number of people in this country that are mentally ill. And why some of them are allowed to buy weapons, I have no idea. We're going to have to deal with the fact that schools are not secure as they could be. I remember saying to you all, and I'm going to say it again, when I visited certain countries in Asia, when you go into the hotel, you are checked out. Your vehicle is checked out. Underneath your vehicle is checked out. There's an armed guard or two, sometimes with dogs, at every hotel that you could be going into to make sure that you're not carrying in something that you shouldn't. When you go into the largest malls, including the Mall of Asia, when you go into certain stores there, you have to pass a security check. And, yeah, it is a little bit invasive, but they've got it worked out where it doesn't take that much time. You just it, it takes less time to get in the mall than it does to get on an airplane. Security at this point in our, in our history, we have to deal with that. There's going to have to be tighter security. Now, when it comes to these real problems, true problems like climate change, that's where, okay, we have a difference of opinion there. But 
I'm not mad at Dave Matthews for this. I am not mad at him. I understand his angst and his frustration. We may not deal, we we may not agree, like I'm not one of these people going to sit up and blame the NRA and talk about people, nobody's coming for your guns. Well, uh, the uh, Beto O'Rourke did tell you and did say that they want to come for your guns, Dave. Joe Biden and his administration have indicated, yeah, they do want to take guns away or restrict them from law-abiding citizens. So the people on the on, on the other side of the aisle are saying this stuff are not wacko nutsoids. But that doesn't mean that there is not common ground. I can't think of any parent in America that should not. And, and this goes whether you're sending your kid to a private school, to a public school. Parents have to be petrified that their kids would get caught up in one of these mass shootings. But it's not just at schools. Now it's in the malls. Now it's in churches. We got problems. I'm sure you've seen the stories that New York City is sinking. Seen that due to the weight of the skyscrapers. Manhattan Island in particular, extraordinary weight sinking one to two millimeters each year. So, better get your scuba gear, folks. You may need it in 100, 200 years from now. (sighs) Once again, SNAP is a political football. Americans are suffering for it. Now, listen to this opening. On this story, more than half of all students and nearly 40% of all faculty. I find this hard to believe. I'm just going to say up front. I find this difficult to believe. I am a skeptic. I'm not saying it's not true. I'm saying I am skeptical, very skeptical if there is truth to this. More than half the students and nearly 40% of all of the faculty at New Mexico's higher education institutions don't have enough food to eat. So, again, what we're being told here, in New Mexico, more than half of all college students in the entire state And almost 40% of their professors and people in the education system are hungry. They don't have enough food to eat. That's according to a new state-funded study. Food insecurity among U.S. college students apparently is a big issue. Mental health experts are saying that the food into... Scott, do you believe this is true? Do you believe that half the college students... Do you believe half the college students and 40% of the faculty are walking around starving in New Mexico? That doesn't seem possible. Go get some Doritos. That's what college students... (laughs) 
I, I don't see how it's possible. I don't, I don't understand how that would possibly be the case. How can you afford tuition and then... Uh, Aha, that's where... Yeah, so you're paying 30 40 50 whatever it is, $1,000 in tuition to go to these schools, but you're starving. Yeah, it doesn't... Avery, do you believe that half the college students in New Mexico are starving? They don't have enough food to eat. The, the students, yes. The faculty, no. I don't believe that. That's hard to believe. Oh, tell us why you think that the students, that this could be true with the students. Well, you know, you never had enough to eat in college running around and, you know, unless you had a, like a real killer meal plan or something. But so I could understand that. But why, how, I don't, I don't see how professors wouldn't be able to eat for free in the dining hall. Diego? I don't think it's an issue of money. If it's true, if it's true, I don't think it's an issue of money. Because of course the tuition thing, but like maybe there like there's a food shortage, something like that. Like I, I just need more information. A food shortage in America? No, <laughs> a food shortage in New Mexico. I don't know. Maybe I've never. Been, I don't know. Supply chain issue. Supply chain issue. Something wrong with the crops down there? I don't know. I just don't know. Because huh. so, somebody's eating. It would be 100% then. Oh, that's true. <laughs> it's only 40. You know, that's true. That's a very good point. So somebody's eating. Nick, you think that there's some uh, truth to this that are uh, 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 half? Yeah, I think in a state, the entire state, half the college students in New Mexico walking around starving, they don't have food, and almost half the professors are 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 like, oh my gosh, we don't have food to eat. The professor part is kind of wild. I'm with Diego on this one. I think there's got to be some kind of detailed, with, like with the supply chain, or maybe it has to do with the drought. It's, it's not. There's definitely a food surplus in America. We definitely have more than enough food. There's there's got to be something keeping it from getting to New Mexico. Don't tell that to them. Well, well like it, it's not Arizona. It's not Utah. Like it's none of that. It's just New Mexico and only New Mexico. Well, they, this is what the study says. Hmm. And this is why they have to. This is why they need more food stamps. I'll, I'll take a McDonald's. See, because and see, okay. There's the. <laughs> wait a minute. So the problem isn't the food. The problem is the cost of food because they need more food stamps, and more and more people need to be on food stamps, including the professors. They need to be on food stamps so that they can afford the food. They're hungry, apparently, because they can't afford to eat. Oh. Well, there you go. I'm not teaching. That somebody. doesn't make sense to me yeah, either. It doesn't seem so I'm not good. teaching somebody's children if I can't afford to eat. I'm sorry. I'm not going to have somebody's children eating, you know, burgers in front of me, and I'm I can't do that. That won't happen. <laughs> I mean, this is the kind of stuff that we get. We're supposed to just say, oh, okay, hey Martha, did you know the students out there in New Mexico they're starving? It's all their professors, and no one question. We're not supposed to question this stuff. This is. But they have this, a, but they have a football team. They have an athletic department, and none yeah. of them are starving. Something. That's that, that's that's. I don't know. Don't I'm know. smart enough to be a college professor, but I'm not smart enough to figure out how to eat. You're not smart enough to wander down to the locker room when they serve the when they serve the athletes. Like you got to be, you got to, you got to have, you got to have some kind of hustle to you. And now we're told even peanut butter and jelly must be too expensive. See, that's what I'm talking about. Because if you're hungry, okay, if you're that hungry, right, then you go, you get yourself some bread. Ramen noodles. I'm telling you. you get some, oh, thank you. You get some ramen noodles. You get some peanut butter and jelly. Well, look, I'm taking. A, I'm getting a a, a, a a pallet of ramen noodles and a pallet of peanut butter and jelly. I'm going to the girls' dorm. 
Uh oh. Hey, y'all, I got, I get y'all hungry. I got it. <laughs> I heard so a, a little birdie told me that fifty percent of y'all is, is, is starving in there. <laughs> Bring Martha Stewart. That is our love man for you. And I'm your food man. And the faculty. You well, heard James Taylor. I'm your handyman. Here's Amy. I'm your food man. And wh- I got you. And while I'm there, I'm getting a PhD from the faculty. <laughs> oh man, James Golden, A.K. Snurley here with you. WABC calls coming up. Don't go away. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. And coming right back. Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. Ramsey Lewis brings us back. Produced by Maurice White of Earth, Wind, and Fire. Sun Goddess on WABC Talk Radio 77. A former crack cocaine dealer whose sentence was commuted by former President Barack Obama is back, keep the music there, is back behind bars. He allegedly shot a car passenger on an Illinois highway. Alton Mills, 54, granted clemency eight years ago, booked on three attempted murder charges over the shooting that left the victim critically injured. While inside a car, he's accused of firing multiple shots at another vehicle. This happened roughly 30 miles south of Chicago. Held without bond, he had his life sentence commuted by Obama after serving 22 years in prison for drug charges. You know, he's part of that whole mass incarceration thing. Had his picture taken with Elizabeth Warren. You know, he's a celebrity. Well, back in the pokey. Maybe the next, maybe he should just ask Joe Biden now. You see whether he can get another pardon. All right, let's head back to the telephones. Thank you. Uh, let us go to uh, Andrew in Stanhope, New Jersey. How are you, Andrew? Hey, what is um, what is the story on uh, your bus? Sorry about the delay. I just want to say uh, Jim Brown, a great man, a true civil rights leader, unlike Al Sharpton. He was completely the opposite. He wasn't a race hustler and a liar. And um, I also confronted Jim Brown, but not really him, but the mayor, Roz Baraka of Newark. Professor Brown, 
You know, we're having a problem with your we're having a problem with your phone line. Um, the last thing I heard you say was that you had um, confronted. I think you were talking about was it Mayor Imamu Baraka, the Imamu Baraka out in Newark? Yes, Roz Baraka. It was the Jim right. Brown event for anti-gang, which I totally support. But I told the mayor mostly from the podium he was at. I said, "We're here in Newark on South Orange Avenue, and I grew up right up the street in." South Orange, you know, one block out of Newark, near Whitney Houston, by the way. And I said there were black people all around me, and none of them shot each other. There weren't any black-on-black shootings. And I said the difference is that many of the black families had a father in the home, not all, but a high percent, like 80% or more. And then the mayor, so I said, why don't we focus on, like, having fathers in the home? And the mayor actually told me, and I have it on tape, he said, it doesn't matter if you have a father in the home. It's different in South Orange because the economy is better. And uh, so it's a double lie because obviously it matters. Like you always talk about how good your parents were. And there's really no economy in the little village of South Orange <laughs> other than the Seton Hall College and the pizzeria. <laughs> so he told two lies. But Jim Brown didn't, you know, he didn't respond. He looked surprised. And I was nervous, too, because at that point I was the only white person there. And I thought, well, they might misread what I'm saying. But it was opposite. When I talked to people after and did, like, one-on-one interviews, they were saying, no, you were right. It's multifaceted. It's economic, education, school choice, parents, you know, fathers being. So, But I love Jim Brown because he supported what I was saying, and he loved what Trump did for the – New York, mostly New York, for starting jobs. He got awards, the Rosa Parks Award, presented by Jesse Jackson. He opened his, uh, you know, Trump Tower for the Rainbow Coalition. So, so he always loved Trump. And actually, Jim Brown took a lot of heat from these liberal white reporters. They said, "You're supporting Trump. Don't you care what the NFL?" And he actually laughed at Jim Brown. Said. I don't care what the NFL thinks. I'm here to help create jobs in the inner city and everywhere. And if that's somehow controversial, you're the one that's a fool. Not so I just love Jim Brown and not Al Sharpton. <laughs> All right. Well, Andrew, thank you for that. Jim Brown, I think the more we people learn about Jim Brown, the more they'll understand what an incredible and historic figure he was. And thank you, Andrew, so much for the call. Uh, let us go to Glenn in Queens. Glenn, how are you? How you doing, Bo? Listen, I, I wanted to talk to you about this. An Amazon commercial, you were talking earlier about transgender, uh, transgender people. There's a commercial for Amazon where there's a kid. I don't know if it's a little girl or a boy who has a mustache. This person, the little kid, looks up and sees a picture of that artist. There's a... I don't know, Spanish artist, she has a mustache. And then it looks at a bobblehead of, uh, and that, that woman was, um, that painter was bisexual. Then then this person, this little kid, looks at a picture of Freddie Mercury. Now, he was bisexual. Then the next thing you know, the kid's dancing in a school in a dress. Now, I still don't know if it's a girl or a boy. But it has a, the little kid has a mustache. So I don't know if they're trying to subliminate you know, subliminally try to change your mind on something, but you have to see this commercial. It's a cute commercial, 
But I don't know if, if the kid who's dancing in school, any kid goes to school with the Freddie Mercury yellow jacket and is dancing up and down the aisle. It's a good commercial, but I still don't know what the kid is. And at the end, the wow. Well, maybe and, some. I think just. I think maybe some of the guys on the staff have seen. Have you seen that? Yeah, it's a commercial about about being okay with the fact that women have facial hair because because women, especially uh, girls going through puberty get uh, facial hair, and they're very not confident with uh, with the fact that they get facial hair. So I guess it's like telling you that it's it's okay. It's natural. Shave it off. Uh, for, for some reason, I, I mean, I guess they, um, they decided to, uh, like, give the message that, like, embrace it, you know, that kind of message. But, like... The overall theme of it is it's not it's not anything to do with gender. It's, it's, it's more of a body positivity thing. Body positivity. Less, way le- it's not a sexual thing, you know, a sexual orientation thing. Oh, okay. Well, see, the guys on the staff have, have come through. They've they've seen this commercial. I haven't seen it. And, of course, you know, we go with Nick because Nick has a mustache. I'm telling you all, Nick, man, Nick is the – are you still single after you, you actually talked about this last week, man? You, you, you got, like, the Tom Selleck thing going on, the younger version of Tom Selleck. You still single? Yeah, still single. What's going on with you, man? You know, a uh, little bit of a dry spell. I'm just kind of uh, doing my thing. I just got this, you know, this new gig in the city, so I'm meeting some more people. So maybe something will happen. But uh, you know, most of my time, I'm just in my uh, my parents' place in Jersey. So not a lot of whoa, uh, whoa, 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 man! You can't meet girls at your parents' place, and then you can't tell them I live with my parents. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of a, a bit of a roadblock. I don't know. I got a girlfriend while I was living with my mom during the pandemic. So how'd that work out? Uh, she moved away. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Avery. Avery. Okay. Avery. <laughs> Hello. Avery. Yeah. Uh, how'd you how'd you make out during the pandemic, Avery? During the pandemic, it was fine. Yeah. Like people people went went over each other's houses during the pandemic. It was normal. It was, it was a good time. Hmm. Uh, and how's everything going for you now, Avery? Me? Good. It's always, yeah, you, it's always good. Can't, mm-hmm. co- can't complain. I don't want to mention anything. Okay, thank you. Checking in. Thank <laughs> you, guys. we got to take a quick break. James Golden, A.K. Snuddy. Remember, America's small caffeinated mom coming up. Okay. And then we're going to take more of your calls, so don't go away here on WABC. We'll be right back. WABC Talk Radio 77. Tomorrow in the New York Post, you're going to find an ad, and in it is commentary from John Katsimatidis. Save New York. Yes to immigration. But checks and balances are needed. 
Be on the lookout for that. Give you a little hint of some of the things that it says before we leave today. Bill Perry brings us back. It is time for America's small caffeinated mom, Rhonda Schrock, to weigh in. Hello, Rhonda. How are you? Back from Hillsdale, are you? I'm back from Hillsdale, James. I missed you guys, missed you, missed the team, but it was really just a wonderful weekend at Hillsdale College. It's never not wonderful there. (laughs) Right. So you were there for a graduation. Yes. Uh, the third of our four sons uh, graduated from Hillsdale College with a Bachelor of Arts degree in politics. And as, as graduation was approaching, actually, I was thinking about his journey to Hillsdale because it was not linear. Um, when he graduated from our high school, well, actually, when he was a junior in high school, he went on a mission trip with the youth group to a baby center in Kenya. Uh, And he worked for 10 days. They worked with babies, AIDS babies, cast off abandoned babies. And it was when he came back from that trip, it was the first time I ever heard him say the words political science. But it was in that impoverished country where he felt the call to public service. He has always loved America. Um, He is a longtime listener to Rush, and he would hear Rush advertise um, Hillsdale College. And so he he graduated high school kind of knowing what he wanted to do. So he, he went to a state university here nearby for his freshman year and encountered all the progressive ideology that Rush used to talk about. And it re- he really bridled at it because it didn't match his beliefs, his convictions at all. So partway through that freshman year, he decided, well, we we went to visit Hillsdale College because one of the things that attracted him was that Hillsdale does not take one penny of federal money. So we went to visit campus, uh, and I knew once we hit campus that this was the place for him. And so he, he got his things together. He applied, and we waited for weeks, and an envelope came in the mail, and it was a no. I waited and watched him as a mother, just holding my breath to see what that rejection was going to do. Because he's, he's my quiet one. He's a man of few words. He's non-emotive. And I thought, oh, is this going to crush him? How, how is he going to handle this? He, he didn't bat an eye. He just got right back up. He was on the phone with admissions, and he started the whole process again. Well, Meanwhile, he, he took extraordinary steps, and I've written about this in the essay, to uh, enhance his application, to do everything he could do to give himself the best possible chance of getting into Hillsdale. He applied a second time, and again, when the envelope came to the house, it was a no. And again, I, t- I held my breath because it's so hard to watch your kids you know, suffer disappointment. And again, without batting an eyelash, he got up and one more time he took a swing. And on that third try, 
One day, a beautiful, thick packet came in the mail, and it said, congratulations, you have been accepted. So he, he never took one day for granted that he was on that campus. And every time we are there, we feel the gratitude of it. But the reason I share this story, uh, and it's a very personal story, is because it showed me two things. The first one was I realized that I could not possibly know, even as in tune and connected as I, as I am as a mom, even I did not completely know what was in that kid until it was put to the test. So when his dad and I watched him um, get back up and fight through the adversity, we were overwhelmed with joy to discover that he had that kind of perseverance and that kind of strength in him. And not only had that been in there developing inside his courageous heart, but it also uh, developed it even further. It just, and I knew that where he's going, he will need all of that and more. The second lesson that I took from it is that we have to allow our kids to go through hard things. If we snowplow the roads of life for our kids, as author Kevin Lehman has said, we will produce weak and immature adults. We just will. And when you mentioned uh, that you've started going to the gym, you know, and it's painful at first. But that's how change is going to come. It's that resistance. It's those weights uh, pushing yourself to the limit. You will experience change. And that's true for us, but it's also true for our kids. And, James, I know how hard it is to see our kids struggle, either just from, you know, the hard things that happen in life, but from the consequences of their poor decisions. And I used to be a pillow hauler. And a pillow hauler is a parent who follows her kids around with a pillow, and I, I wanted to slip it underneath their buns, you know, to cushion those falls. <laughs> well, yes. you, yeah, and I realized that that was not helpful and that it would, they would learn things quicker if they were allowed to experience under our watchful eyes, you know, consequences of their decisions. Absolutely. And I, Yes, and I could interfere, actually, with God's ability to work in their lives if I tried to circumvent those hard things. And sometimes that means your ego has to step aside. Sometimes it means you have to just purposely take your hands off, be there for them, but allow them to grow in the same ways that we have grown. Because it was the hard things in our lives that developed those spiritual, mental, emotional muscles. So Grant and I decided, you know, long ago that we were more interested in the boys' character than in their happiness. And that required character on our part. Right. And that's hard. Us first, before the kids. We cannot ask them to do and be what we aren't and won't do. Rhonda, where can we find your essay? Uh, it's on the Daily BS today, thedailybs.com. Uh, raising kids with character requires parents with some of their own. Rhonda, thank you so much. And rondashrock.com, spell your last name for us. <laughs> S-C-H-R-O-C-K. Rondashrock.com. So oh, thank and you, my, Ron- song, yes. my, my theme song, The Things We Do for Love. I had to make a oh, Cambodian I dish. I had to make a Cambodian dish today or this week for a teenager 
totally outside my uh, purview, but I did it, and the kids at the high school devoured it. And so I thought, ah, the things I do for love. If you have it in your library, <laughs> maybe sometime you can play it. Maybe sometime we will. Thank you, Ron. Appreciate you. you, darling. Love you. Talk with yeah. you later. James Golden, A.K. Snurley, yeah. coming back. Ladies and gentlemen, oh, Otis Redding. Goodness. I didn't even request this one. Try a little tenderness on WABC Talk Radio 77. Coming back right after this. And young girls, they do get weary. The Saturday Morning Radio Extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. York, James Golden, a.k.a. Sterney, with you here for our morning extravaganza. Seems like yesterday, but it was long ago. Bob Seger brings us back against the wind. And on our phone lines, the boss, John Katsimatidis, owner, operator, WABC. You have a commentary today in uh, that's going to run tomorrow in the New York Post, John. It it is it, this is unusual, but it is this is powerful stuff. Tell us about it. Well, I, I think people have to have the ability to get their voice out, and you know we use WABC to tell people, tell all Americans, all New Yorkers how we feel, and uh, we also uh, are using the New York Post to do that too. So we we get a double uh, whammy. Um, it's all about immigration. I'm an immigrant. My parents brought me here. Even though my grandfathers came in 1913, my parents brought me here in 1949 when I was six months old. And I love America. I love New York. Uh, and we are watching our big cities decay. And San Francisco is a vast wasteland. We don't want that to happen to New York. If you look at New York, on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, people come in for business. And New York is very busy, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays. The rest of the week, they're all, everybody's gone. You could throw bowling balls up and down 3rd Avenue, uh, Lexington Avenue, all the avenues, uh, especially on weekends. Uh, people are not staying in New York, and there's, uh, there's concern about that. So what are we talking about? The migrants. Right now, J.P. Morgan is building a $3.5 billion building on Park Avenue. J.P. Morgan, New York is always their headquarters. They love New York. But what the heck is going on? Uh, we're filling up the Roosevelt Hotel right next to the J.P. Morgan building with migrants. Could you imagine building a $3.5 billion building and putting migrants in the hotel right next to the, the, that building? How is New York ever going to come back? And my solution, my temporary solution is that the fact is Rikers Island is not being used right now. There's 30,000 possible beds in Rikers Island. I don't want to make it as a jail. We promised these migrants food and shelter. Fine. 
But the song we pay, play on WABC on our 5 o'clock show, we never promised them a rose garden. We want them to be safe. We don't want them to be hungry. We, we, want, we want them to have uh, uh, sleeping accommodation. And we have 30,000 beds available. Why are the taxpayers spending a billion dollars uh, every a year? Well, now they're saying it might be a billion dollars every three months. So we got to solve the problem temporarily uh, until the border problem is solved. What say you, uh, James? I say this absolutely makes sense. What you say is shelter and food, yes. On Rikers, yes. But hotel rooms at hundreds of dollars a day next to J.P. Morgan's $3.5 billion building on Park Avenue, no. And by the way, um, I've gotten some pushback from people that don't believe what they've been reading, that in, in some cases, American veterans who served in Afghanistan and who served the older veterans in Vietnam who've been pushed out of hotel rooms to make room for this wave that has come through the southern border unvetted. And this is unconscionable, John. This is totally unconscionable. So absolutely right. And I'm glad to see this commentary that you placed in. It's going to run in the New York Times. I'm sorry, the New York Post tomorrow. And I think that, we, you know, this is, we do have to have a voice in this. And New York is worth saving. And I know this is an issue that has to be dealt with in New York. I was out to dinner last night with with some uh, very liberal friends of mine. But good friends of mine, you know, because, you know, I, I believe I'm the middle of the road guy, Bo. Uh, and uh, I showed him a copy of the ad I had in my pocket. And you know something? They said, John, you're right, too. So it's not, it's not just right-wing, left-wing, Democrats, Republicans. All New Yorkers feel that way. Uh, I mean, it, it's so sad what's happening to our big cities. I, 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 you know, I, I, I cry for America right now. And you're not the only one. And w- one day, John, when we have some time, I'd like you to come on because you said something really amazing to me. And you, and, and you and I have talked about your story, this story, which you detail in your book, this story from your coming to this country as an immigrant at six months. And you didn't come here a billionaire. You didn't come here a millionaire. You came here and worked your yeah. way up through. My father was a busboy on the Longchamps restaurant on 42nd Street and Lexington Avenue. A busboy for 25 years. And this is one of the stories that has to be told. We are not against immigrants, but we want the checks and balances and we want the laws of this nation upheld. John, yeah. I know I interrupted your breakfast, and thank you for taking time to come out with us. But this oh, is always, people, Bo, and I hope to see you, you soon. Uh, I look forward. Take care. Thank you, John. John Casamitidis, WABC. We have time for one quick call before we head out of here. Rick in Elmwood Park, New York. Rick, thanks for waiting. How are you? Um, I was going to say Dave Matthews should stick to what he knows best, making crappy music and dumping feces on pleasure boats. <laughs> Whoa. I did not know about the pleasure boat uh, incident. Uh, yes. you're in, 
I don't even know whether I want to know about it. Is this Chicago? Uh oh, Scott, what happened? He was crossing one of the bridges in downtown Chicago and dumped the tank of his tour bus into the river through the grate. On I, I, I didn't remember the pleasure boat part, but that he probably onto the pleasure boat. Yeah. T- t- tell us, am I right, Rick? I think that's what happened. It was like twenty years ago. It was a boatload of tourists there on a sightseeing trip. Oh. oh. And please tell John Katsimatidis when he wants to know about the whales and dolphins to give me a call. All right. So uh, this is in response to the story we read out of the uh, Hill today about Dave Matthews. Uh, Dave Matthews pretty much saying, look, you people, they're not coming for your guns. Now, I'm going to say, and I said it again, I have some empathy with what Dave Matthews says about this part, that as a parent, he is... I mean, come on, this is, he's worried about his kids in school, even at the university level, having to go to school and having to live with this constant nagging fear that there's going to be some incident that takes place with the mass shootings. Because we have seen folks so far this year, America has experienced, think about this, we're not even halfway through the year. And so far in the United States of America, we have experienced over 200 mass shootings so far this year. So I understand when people are concerned about that. But I also think it's a little bit of a stretch to say that nobody's coming for your guns because we've heard politicians on the left say exactly the opposite. Yeah, we're coming for your guns. And so there has, we are not going to get past this problem without listening to each other. And one of the things that has to happen here, especially at schools, we have seen what happens when these schools are fortified and where there is amazing security at these schools. We've seen that. And what can happen in terms of increasing the safety. And if children are worth what we say they are worth, they are worth securing. And I know some people don't want us to be armed guards at schools. Guess what? We live in an age where now that has become necessary. Quickly, Jeff in Great Neck, New York. Jeff, you're on WABC. I want to remind everybody, America is the land of opportunity. My grandparents were immigrants. My father was an immigrant. My wife is an immigrant. My son-in-law is an immigrant. They all registered through the Immigration and Naturalization Service and became citizens. Why can't the U.S. government enforce the laws that are on the book? It's all 535 senators and congressmen that are allowing this to happen. If America's a land of opportunity, let them learn to get a job. Don't give them the free food. Don't give them the free rent. Don't give them the free phone. Don't give them the bus ride. If they come across the river, let them sit there and starve to death. No, 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 no. Let me say something about that. We are not a nation that is ever going to get behind allowing people, including women and children, to starve. And that's not who we are. I can't stand using that phrase. It sounds so leftist. That's not who we are. Because Obama used to use that all the time. But it is not. That's not. That's not who anybody is in this nation as a as 
as a philosophy that we should watch people starve. However, I totally agree, and I think most people would agree with you, that we want the lands, uh, we want the laws of this land followed. Again, as I said earlier, you cannot go into Canada. Try it. Try to go there and say, I'm here to work in Canada. You're not going to get in. It is. This is not a difficult equation. We have laws on the books. If they are enforced and word gets out, as they were during the Trump years, that the laws are being enforced, the surges of immigration that we have seen will cease. They did. This is not theory. This is what happened. And this is what happens when laws are enforced. Now, this whole asylum system that we have now is a scam. I have detailed that the UN, and this is not conspiracy kook stuff, the UN has been very instrumental in funding this latest surge under the guise of asylum, when in fact many of the people coming in claiming asylum are not actually telling the truth about their status. Anyway, on that happy note, we'll leave it for today. Saturday morning radio extravaganza back on Monday for Boats and Early's Rush Hour. Remember to check out the Daily BS, the dailybs.com, our twice-a-day news blast. Love and gratitude, my friends. Love, gratitude for you being here with us. Thank you so much. May God bless and protect each and every single one of you and your loved ones. It's always an honor and a pleasure to be here with you. Look forward to being back, God willing, on Monday. We'll see you then. Bye.